When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. You bungee jumped. <laughs> You're from the Sharks. Strip naked for the real mo- for Monty. All of these things are to build a common denominator between you and the people that you're trying to connect with at the time. Is there anything you wouldn't do? In our world today, given the news feed that we all suffer, do you think that what you do brings us some balance? One great thing about my role is that I meet people face to face. You know, and I travel the country meeting people in all situations, different socioeconomic groups, different interest levels. There are so many interesting stories out there. And if you give people enough time in front of the mic, you'll find it. Sam Mack, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be on. Uh, Now, we were talking pre-show, you know, just about, I was sort of having a whinge because I love going on the morning show (laughs) in you guys, Sunrise. Um, and I've been going on for many, many years now. It's a hassle for me to get down there, and I'm, I was having a whinge, and then I thought to myself, my God, you're always out on location, and you're never there. In fact, you have to travel a real long way to get to where you have to get to. <laughs> yeah, on the rare mornings that we're at the studios, that's a sleep-in for me because it's 20 minutes from my house. So I'd absolutely take that any day of the week totally, if I could totally. I can't whinge. I can't <laughs> whinge. So I would like to go back a little bit. So Mac stands for? Macmillan. Macmillan, okay. Mm. Um, is Sam Mack something you grew up with as a name? Around the soccer club, Sammy Mack used to be the name that everyone would call me. And my dad's also a Sam McMillan, so he was Sammy Mack Senior. Um, but I had a radio producer when I just started out in radio in Adelaide and he said, yeah, McMillan, nah, too many syllables, mate. <laughs> so that tells you a lot about the respect he had for the audience at the radio station at that time. He said, yeah, we've got to shorten it. Sammy Mack or Sam Mack, that's better. Oh, so- I, actually, I, he's right because, you know, it's funny, you know, if, if you're writing – if, if you're writing and composing something, like a letter or an email or something like that, and uh, you have to put on um, Sam McMillan, I often stop and think to myself, is it M-A-C-M-I-A-A-N <laughs> or is it M-A-M-C-M-I-A-A-N? And uh, it's actually a, pu- a punish. So Sam Mack is I'll pass pretty, that on to my parents. Sam Thanks, Mack Mark. is perfect. <laughs> I get it. You just take me back to Adelaide. I mean, you talk about soccer or footy. You're talking about, um, are you talking about soccer, uh, as in the world game? Yeah, okay, okay. Um, coming from Adelaide, you got to be careful saying things like that, especially <laughs> with Koshi, who used to be, would have been on your case. Because <laughs> Don't we, get me wrong, I love AFL as well. He's the president of which club? In Port, Adelaide. Adelaide. Port Adelaide. The right. rivals of my club, the Adelaide Crows. Right, you're the Crows. Um, We've won twice as many premierships as them. Not that it's a competition. No, it, it is, is a competition. competition. Everybody's like, I mean, I'm on the board of the Roosters and all we ever talk about as our neighbours <laughs> south. So we're always sort of competing about how many grand finals. And, and by the way, we're competing as to what year we both started. Yeah. And we both argue who has been in, in the longest. And it is the Roosters, by the way. We have been there the longest. So but just take me back. Adelaide, whereabouts in Adelaide did you grow up? Which, which Parafield part? Gardens. When I tell, tell, where's so that? So that's the northern suburbs of Adelaide, um, 25 minutes out of the city. Is that up in the hills? Um, not quite, but um, Tea Tree Gully where my sister lives is maybe 10, 15 minutes. That's the start of the hills, so right. not too far from the hills. So uh, your parents obviously born there? Your my parents Irish. Irish. So born in Ireland. Yeah, McMillan. Met, right. met in Australia. Yep. But um, like a lot of European settlers um, wanted to go where it was affordable to live. A lot of Irish people were going to Adelaide at the time and and they went there and they've, they've never really left. And how many kids in the family? 
just myself and my sister, Paula. That's pretty unusual for an Irish family. Yeah. Are they Protestants? <laughs> uh, well, we don't talk <laughs> about religion. And in fact, it's interesting you bring that up. That's part of why they left Ireland. Right. So they left around the time of the Troubles. So we're we talking about Belfast or we're we yeah, talking about Northern uh, Ireland. Dublin, okay. Right in the thick of it. So right. they left around the time of the Troubles where car bombs, stabbings, really not a nice place to be. And my parents met in Adelaide, but like I say, a lot of Irish people were just getting out. And my grandma, my dad's mum said to my dad, you're going to Australia, you know, next week. He didn't know anything about Australia. This is pre-Google. He couldn't Google it. He didn't know what was going on. He just said, okay, he was on a ship for a few weeks. And then he lands in Australia. He's got hair down to his ass. He's got no real qualifications and he had to make it work from there. He was only around 17. And your, and your mum's also Irish? Mum's also Irish. So they happen to meet in Adelaide? Yeah. That's pretty mad. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I think it's like, you know, your background. Boris. Irish and Greek. Yeah. So you go to Melbourne, all the Greeks stick together, right? Yeah. Well, they did back in those days, all the Irish stick together because they want that slice of home, that familiarity. So it was great on a social level for them to hang out with people from Ireland. They could share their stories of wh- which part they were from, what troubles, you know, why they left Ireland. And and it was a bit of a, a sore point, understandably. I remember as a kid chatting to my parents about like, what's this IRA thing? What's Catholic Protestant troubles? Like I was interested in it, but it was too raw. Like they didn't really want to talk about it. And my dad would always say the same phrase, which is we left those troubles behind. We moved to Australia for a new life, for a better life, to get away from all of that. And I think that's why they didn't go back for so many years. And one of the best things that I've ever done was surprise them for Christmas a few years back with a trip to Ireland because, you know, they don't have a lot of money. They're not big travelers. And I feel a bit of inherent guilt because I travel so much. I live in Sydney. I don't see them as much as I'd like to. I miss a lot of birthdays, family, my parents celebrating engagements. I miss a lot of those things. So it was really important to me that I made that happen. And and I surprised them over there as well by taking my sister. So we had a family holiday in Ireland. Like a pilgrimage. Uh, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was really special. So so you went into um, Belfast. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty mad place. It's a uh, you can sort of see how it would have been a very heavy scene during the Troubles. Definitely. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's still raw because, you know, you've got people there who lost their grandparents, who lost their parents or who who know people who were embroiled in, in that warfare, essentially. So, but we had a really fun, happy holiday and it was mainly happy memories. We weren't, I, I wanted them to experience the best, you know, and I wanted them to share a little bit of what they grew up with. And, you know, my dad taking me to where he used to live and saying, I used to kick a soccer ball against this wall every day for 10 years. Like that, they were the moments that I wanted. My mum saying, that's the school I went to just down there. We used to meet at that big clock. They're the moments that I was hoping to get out of it. And, and we got them. And yeah, one of the best things I've ever done. Your parents' impact on you, do you, do you feel like a sense of um, debt towards them yeah. for what they've given you? Yeah, I do. I do. And I feel, I mentioned it before, a little bit of guilt. Um, Why? Why guilt? Um, because I miss a lot. Because I'm not there, you know, something happens with mum, she's got to go to the doctor in the hospital for a day or two. I'm not there to visit face-to-face. I'm on FaceTime. And as you know, it's not the same. So don't get me wrong, like I have their blessing and they're proud of me and they wanted me to chase what I wanted to do and the type of career that I've, you know, paid my way through to could not have been done really in Adelaide. I wanted to go to the top of the stack, which was Melbourne or Sydney in media. Um, apologies to anyone else in media in other cities. They're also great jobs. But what I wanted to do, I needed to push a bit further and go to those bigger markets, I guess you'd call it. So, yeah, I don't. they never put that on me, but I put that on myself. I feel that. We sort of can grow up with Irish guilt, though. I know what it's like. My mum was like that. Like, uh, is that something real for you? Um, I mean, and guilt comes in lots of forms and it also actually shapes the way you tend to be, not you in particular, but people can tend to be more generous towards others too um, because it's nearly, uh, it makes me feel better. Yeah. Type deal. Yeah. I, I mean, think so. I mean, that shouldn't be the only reason. No. But it, it's a nice little sweetener, isn't it? Yeah, If yeah. that's helping you go to sleep at night, then nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but it is a thing in Ireland, whether it's from the north of Ireland, from from um, Northern Ireland or whether it's from the Republic of Ireland, which is the bigger part, mm-hmm. it is a thing. Whether you're Catholic or Protestant, it is a thing over there. Yeah. Irish, no. And they've got sayings about this stuff, uh, you know, you know, like – about um, having tickets on yourself, for example, and uh, making yep. sure that you get out of the wind. Otherwise, all the tickets are going to blow off, yep. all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, these are things that, that's real. 
And uh, when you're a kid, a little kid, especially, and you're growing up and you've got your mum telling you something, particularly if your mum, you know, if you're close to your mum, if you've got your mum telling you something, you actually, st- it, it does form neural pathways, I think. Yes. That stay with us forever. Yeah. And they're not bad neural pathways. So therefore there's no need to go and change them, you know, but that, but these things stay with you forever. I think so. I think, I mean, they're really simple in the scheme of things, but you can't underplay the importance of them. Little things like gratitude, like using manners, like these are big, little big things that I've got from my mum in particular, but my dad as well in other areas. Um, and, and I guess an important part, and this is, this is what's great about my job because I meet a lot of people, you know, on an average morning, I probably meet about a hundred people, you know, and I travel the country meeting people in all situations, different socioeconomic groups, different interest levels. And I guess something particularly for a mum is to treat everyone with the same level of kindness and respect and you never really know what they're going through. And that's such a great life lesson for anybody, no matter what you do, no matter what your profession, no matter where you live. If that's your kind of key pillar, then you're on a good start, I think. Did you have a wall that you kicked a soccer ball up against in Adelaide? Windows, unfortunately, for my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Insurance policy. (laughs) Yeah, I would kick a soccer ball anywhere. I loved it. It was my sport. It was my obsession. And you know, I had dreams of playing for Manchester United. Wow. that That's a big dream though. Yeah, I haven't given up on it. Yeah, there's time. You're yeah. only really young. But, <laughs> but are you a big dreamer? Yeah. Yeah, and that I think I got more from dad. Right. So I guess you could call it being a dreamer or you could call it possibly having a unhealthy level of self-confidence. Uh, you really know, reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, dad's a go-getter and dad, dad's someone who watch a, you know, a video of Billy Joel in concert and see him playing piano man and go, Oh, let's go to the piano. I'll, I'll play that and think he can play it just like Billy Joel or, you know, dad and I will be sitting watching Manchester United. He'll be like Gary Neville, terrible right back. I reckon I could do a better job. He just had this, he has this level of belief, which some would say is, you know, a little bit not in line with ability level or talent to back it up, but it's a, it's a really nice, certainly for what I do, it's a really nice starting point to, and I guess it's come through in what I've done, which is leaving Adelaide, wanting to go to take on the best. And so it's not completely misguided and it's not a, I don't see it as a negative quality, but I guess I'm looking at it through more of an even assessment at the moment, you know, with where I'm at in my career. But I love that I've got that from dad and I love that I've got the manners, the treating people with kindness, you know, from mum. It's a funny thing, you know, um, in I've, I've observed it, but it's a funny thing in Irish families where, it's, where both part, parties are Irish is that the mum is sort of keeping you within your lane, <laughs> making sure you stay in your lane and like things like manners and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also don't get ahead of yourself. Mm. That sort of stuff, you know, uh, don't be up yourself and all that sort of – and like, and they're pretty direct. They don't muck around. No. And the dads, yeah, they would get out in the pub, have a beer, yeah. they watch the footy or play an instrument or tell a story or um, – Well, dad does all of those things. Yarn. Yep, plays uh, guitar, yep. you know, was in a cover band, loves to tell a joke, loves a beer. He's all of those things. So in many respects I feel that I've – cherry pick the best parts of each parent, which I think every kid hopes that they can do uh, and, you know, channel into what I do. Your parents are both married still? Yes. And they're still alive? Yeah. And and, uh, how do they view your business life? What what do you think? What do they say to you? I still don't think they truly understand all of it as much as I try to explain it, the relentlessness of it. Um, You mean the effort? yeah, Yeah, I guess it's just the pace of it. You know, I'll be doing the show in Adelaide and sometimes, and again, this is coming back to the guilt thing, sometimes I'll forget to tell them and they'll turn on the TV and there's something at the bottom of Sunrise, Sam Mac is in Adelaide and I'll get a message from mum and dad Why going, call him? thanks for the heads up, you know. Well, that, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting thing. Let's go through that for a, little, for a second here because I, I know how that works. Um, you're on TV for, I don't know, on any one morning like in aggregate, maybe 15 minutes. Max. No, that 35 minutes. 35 morning. minutes. Okay. Yeah. So that's maybe seven, eight segments. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm watching TV or mum and dad are watching TV and they see one segment and they see you for a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, and then they, and that's on Monday morning, uh, but they don't realize all the stuff, all the peddling underneath the water, whatever, paddling, whatever the words under the water is that it takes, a lot to prepare that that little package. 
Like yeah. you've got to travel somewhere. Yeah. And you've got to maybe stay overnight because you've got to be there before the next morning. That's you right. Can't get the, you can't get up in the morning and go because you've got to be there exactly. before the planes aren't even leaving when you're getting ready. Um, then you've got to you've got to talk to your production crew. Let's just take me through that process. What's that sort of look like? Let's pick let's pick a relatively speaking remote place of Australia. Let's say you're going to Cairns. Yeah. So what does that look like? Well, it's it really depends where we are the day before and where we are the day after. So there's no normal week in yep. this role. You know, for example, this week I'm going to Perth and we'll be in Perth for two nights. Long way to go for two nights for two shows, but important for us to get to Perth because because it's been a while. Now, we're not just in Perth, we're at Rottnest Island. So anyone who knows Perth knows that you don't just land in Perth and then you, you know, you've actually got to drive to the ferry spot, get on the ferry, stay the night on Rottnest Island, do the show. Time difference means you're doing the show at around 3 a.m. local time. Especially at the moment, three hours difference. Yep. Difficult to get guests. Hey, can you come down for a chat at 4.15? Good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Especially if it's at Rottnest. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. You have um, to pull them off onto the boats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Take your cocker selfie and get yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, the other week we did a week on the road with New South Wales tourism. So a different part of New South Wales and you're driving every day. Um, last week we did four cities in four days. So my point being, there's no set week, but what it looks like is yes, we travel the day before because you can't travel in the morning. Normally you want to get in, in the afternoon, have an early dinner, get to bed by eight, eight thirty. How many is in the group? Four of us, Four of you small team, producer, human emoji, who's produced me from day one. Um, then you've got a, a cameraman and a link operator and they kind of rotate. So small team. I like that. Less politics, less meetings. <laughs> um, so it means you, yeah, you get there, you sleep, you do the show, then often you're straight to the airport or you'll drive somewhere to get ready for the next day's location. So, so who's actually saying though, what determines why should you go to Perth? Is it your audience? And who sits down and works at that schedule? Combination of the executive producers of the show and my producer. And I'll certainly throw in ideas or say, hey, I'm getting a few messages on social media, you know, people in Perth saying, what's going on? You haven't been here for four months. And they're often right. Really? People pay much more attention than you'd think. Yeah. Um, and, and we know, we know that it's been a long time since a Perth trip. And I used to live in Perth. So I've got friends over there that are like, hey, we haven't caught up since you become a dad, all of this kind of thing. Right. So um, you just know. And like, I, one thing I love about my job is it really helps me have a national view. Um, you know, for sports, for just what, what living is like in each city, what property prices are doing in each city. I enjoy that part of the job because I'm interested in it. And I have a connection to every city through my job, but on a higher level, I'm born and bred in Adelaide. I've lived in Perth for three years. I'm in Melbourne every second week. My partner's from Melbourne. We visit the grandparents, you know, her, her parents. So I'm in Melbourne a lot. Um, I live in Sydney these days. Um, so I'm, I'm quite a national person in that regard. And, and I love that about it because each city has their great selling points. But is, it, is there, is there an audience factor in this? Like, uh, you said the audience sent you messages to say you haven't been over for a while. Like that's mad. Um, it's important for Channel 7 to show that they can take the time or be bothered to send Sam Mack to, let's say, Perth to do a show. Absolutely. 100%. And they, so they, they should. get it, do they? So they should. If, yeah. if I was turning on my TV every morning and the presenters were going to every city except mine, I would be like, oh, what else is on? So, yeah, it's crucial that we go. These are big cities. And Every city, as you would know, having travelled a lot, has its own nuance and yep. it has, you know, the talking points. And if you ignore that, then I think it might not happen instantly, but in time your, your numbers, your ratings will be affected by that. But it shouldn't just be about ratings. I know that's a big determining factor, but it should be about the ethos of the show. We're a national show, so we should be going to all, all those cities. What is the ethos of the show? Does that, does that get shared amongst all the talent on the show in the morning? Do you all share the same discussion about what is the ethos of, of this show? What are we really trying to do here? I feel it's a conversation that we should have more often. But having said that, I feel that we all know, you know, that if people are going to watch, let's say your average viewer only watches 30 minutes of sunrise in the morning in between getting their kids ready for school or getting ready for work or whatever it might be, we want them to get the biggest news of the day. So five or six minutes on what are the big news stories? What do you need to know? You need them to get um, the weather. That's where I come in. You need them ideally to get something to smile about, some sort of entertainment, whether, whether it's music or whether it's a fun interview, maybe even something to cry about. You know, maybe it's a heavier story, but it's got some heart to it. If you can get all of those things in 30 minutes, 
then I think you're on the right track because that will then become part of people's routine. And rather than having to flick around for each of those things individually, they've got it all in the one spot. So clearly weather's one part of the information package, but where do you fit into in those other things? Like uh, in the, let's call it the entertainment side. Where, where do you see yourself fitting into the entertainment part of the ethos of the show, of Sunrise? Well, I feel you summed it up when you said light entertainment. I feel like that's, yes. that's kind of my role. Some morning it's very light, <laughs> almost lacking. Um, but I look, I, I, one great thing about my role is that I meet people face to face. So I'm at their cricket club. I'm at yep. their schools, you know, and I love it. I'm at their retirement village. They love it. And, and one interesting thing I've found is the further we go out from the capital cities, the more they love it. So if you go out to the burbs, say 45 minutes, an hour out of any city, they're so excited that you're giving them that moment of recognition. And, and, and I love that because we feed off that energy. So the fact that I'm meeting people face to face and having a chat with them in their lounge room or living room, uh, is quite rare for TV because a lot of the time people on TV stay in the TV. They're in the studio, they're behind glass, security, lights, whatever. I'm not. I'm, I, And I love that about the role. I mean, it comes with its challenges as well because some mornings it can be a bit overwhelming, but I love that I get to chat face-to-face. You talk to kids, kids' footy clubs or cricket clubs or yeah. whatever it is. You talk to older people at maybe um, nursing homes, et cetera, well, like that. This morning yeah. we were at uh, – a gymnastics club in Smeaton Grange, which yep. is about an hour southwest yep. Sydney. Tomorrow morning, I'm at a retirement village in North Parramatta. So that's a perfect summary of two days in sunrise weather, literally both ends of the, the scale. You've got to be fairly uh, – flamboyant probably not the word. You've got to be um, flexible because not everybody can talk to kids and then older older people, older generation um, at the same time. Uh, not everybody can deal with animals. Dogs, there might be a, a, a sort of a Easter show thing going on, like it could be, you know, the pet farm or something. Yeah, not everybody can do all those things, but you seem to be able to do them all. What is it in your personality? Is it performance or is it actual genuineness? I mean, I know you're going to say it's genuine, but I mean, is is there much performance in it? Definitely, yeah, there is performance. I, I kind of see it as it's a heightened version of yourself. I mean, the one thing working for me is that I'm naturally interested in people. And if someone's passionate about something, I feel that's contagious in a good way and and I'll happily point the mic at them and get them talking and then I'm inquisitive. So I want to ask, I've got lots of questions. I don't need to write down 15 questions before I go there. If someone tells me that they have six chickens, instantly I want to know what are they called, what sort of life are they going to lead, how are the eggs going, you know, which one's your favourite. Oh, I've got questions, right? So that just naturally comes to me and I love that about it. And the more you, you keep digging, you, you'll find gold. I think that's one thing that I've found in this role is that there are so many interesting stories out there and if you give people enough time in front of the mic, you, you'll, tell you. you'll find it. Yeah, you'll find it. They love to talk. I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny, you know, um, it, you're not really the weather, you are the weather guy. I mean, you do the weather, I get it. Um, but it's, it's, you really are the light entertainment part of the show. I mean, I know that on the show that everybody's, there's laughter and there's, you know, frivolous moments, et cetera, but you bring in sort of the, the fundamentals into the show. Like, you know, as you said, talking to um, older people, you know, retirement people, you're talking to kids at a gymnastics class or someone, someone raising chickens <laughs> could be at the Easter show. You bring that, uh, it's sort of uh, levity. And I, do you think that in our world today, given the news feed that we all suffer, and I don't mean through Channel 7 or 9, I'm just saying the news feed, <laughs> we all suffer on everything. You know, like we just pick up our phone, but it's mm. just news feed, concert, yeah. concert, concert, concert. And, it does, and, and it's, um, it's indiscriminate. It's about, you know, it can go from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Kabul to, you know, New York to Donald Trump to, you know, back over to, uh, you know, Sunak, Rishi Sunak, whoever. It just moves around all the time and it's constant, it's constant, it's constant, yeah. constant. Do you think that what you do brings us some balance? Yes. I think it's important. It's one of the things I love about that role. Um, I think COVID was a perfect example. I remember at the start of COVID when we all we were all working it out together, right, and we are like, okay, this is serious, this is going to affect things. The two things that are the main parts of my role, which is travel and groups of people, were instantly taken off the table. So my producer, Sean, the human emoji, and I, we decided straight away we're not going to talk about COVID and we had to get that approved by producers. We said the news, and that's the other thing about when you consume news, whether it's on your phone or whether it's radio, podcasts, or whether it's TV, if it's a heavy story, I think you might not realize it, but you'll feel it. 
if there's a bus crash and 23 people have died, you don't just go, oh, well, next channel, or oh, I'm off to work. Like you feel it because you're a human being, right? So that's why we, I might be running around like a fool and trying to do a helicopter maneuver at a kid's gymnastic class, but you need it. It's like that that breath of relief and like the world's not all bad, particularly a lot of kids watch the show. So we don't want the kids who, you know, kids are very perceptive and are seeing more than we think they are. I'm learning that now as a dad of a one-year-old, but they see and they listen and they watch and they feel, right? So if all the news for seven minutes is really depressing, horrific, sad, they can feel their parents' body language. They can see the parents' eyes or the hear the sighs. So it's important that we give them it's okay to laugh now. We can, this is your permission to act like a goose, like the weatherman. That's great. I, I, I'm happy to be the, the dancing clown when required. So sort of self- There's value in that, I guess is my point. Yeah, 100%. So, so self-deprecating really is an Irish way of humour. Yeah. It's endemic in the Irish system of humour. Yeah. Um, basically, you just take the piss out of yourself. Yeah. And who cares? Yeah. If I get a laugh- that's all about And invite other people to take the piss out of you too. Totally. You and know, uh, I had a lady at the gymnastics class this morning who said my posture was a two out of ten. <laughs> you know, I was like, great. I, lo- I love it when they get stuck into me because I know the hosts will enjoy that. And like I say, I'm happy to be the fall guy. I'm happy to have the joke can be on me as long as there is a joke and as long as there's something to smile about. Well, can you take me on beyond that? So, like, you're happy to do it and most of us say, oh, fuck that. Like, why would I want that to happen to me? But what's the greater good that you're creating? Because... Like I was saying before, I meet people face to face and I've had so many interactions with, to me, complete strangers, but I'm not a complete stranger to them who have, you know, a prime example was a a police officer who came up to me in Geelong um, a couple of years ago and said, Sam, I don't want to be on camera. I just want to let you know that I've been out of the force for 10 years. I have PTSD, but your segments have given me something to smile about. And I've watched every segment of yours from 5.40 in the morning. He said, it's not always necessarily things you're saying. It's just the energy that you bring and the places that you show and, and the way that you approach things just reminds me to, you know, not take myself too seriously and try to have a good day. And that is like gold to me. That, that keeps me going for another year. And I have enough of those, whether it's people writing to me on social media or coming up to me face to face and saying, look, I want you to meet my kids. Our family loves you. And a lot of the time they don't want to be on TV. They just want to express to me, hey, what you're doing means something to our family. And that's the biggest buzz. Is is that a form of because I, I sort of get it myself a little bit, um, not to the same level, but or the same extent either. But I get a lot of people thanking me for the various shows I put on. Absolutely. But I often think to myself, Mark, is that you needing some self affirmation about what you do in the world, and that what you do is meaningful? Because I was always taught do something that's meaningful. It doesn't mean you've got to change. You don't have to be Madame Curie and, and, and invent pasteurization or something like that. I mean, that would be meaningful too. <laughs> but, like, you don't have to win a Nobel Prize. But mm. do things that are meaningful. Um, and uh, that was drummed into me as a kid growing up um, because that's who my parents admired. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think to myself, do I do these things that I do irrespective of, you know, the occasional uh, slapped by the media for being who you are, just being well-known that is, um, do I continue on to keep marching forward because I need to be affirmed that what I'm doing is the right thing and a good thing? Is that something you've ever thought through? Uh, I haven't thought it through but in hearing you chat about it now, I, we're both human beings, right, and we both have feelings. and We want to be loved. We want to be loved but... <laughs> I feel like I feel like someone coming up to you and saying, you know, I loved you on Celebrity Apprentice or or I love, you know, your tips you're giving me on interest rates, whatever. That's a nice thing to to hear, right? That's a it's not the only reason you do it, but it's a nice part of it. I feel like and this is something that I've taken over the last few years in getting those types of, you know, interactions with people and having that feedback is like I can then pass that on to someone else who I'm taking something from. So people should hear that they're doing something well more often. I think that sometimes we think, oh, they know that I'm proud of them or they know that I I think they're doing a great job. They might not. And they might just sometimes just hearing it is very powerful. Like telling my partner she's doing an amazing job as a mum. When I've told her that, I can tell that means something to her. Even though I I know that and I feel like I'm showing it to her in other ways, sometimes verbalising it, saying it 
is is extremely powerful and maybe what they need on that particular day. So I love it when people, you know, pour their heart out and say, you know, your segments have helped me through this or my family loved that. Like that's if you weren't feeling something out of that, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, because I don't think there's anything wrong with self-affirmation, but I often wonder about it. Like uh, is it a basic need of humans that we need to have some sort of affirmation? In other words, we have a purpose. We're valuable in society. It doesn't matter how valuable. <laughs> You're not, uh, as I said, I'm not talking about a Nobel Prize value. Just even, if, even if it's just a little bit of valuable to, and, and you need to hear it. You need to be told by a third party. And it's interesting, interesting you said something about your partner. So can we just go there for a moment? If yeah. You, is that okay? Um, cool. So uh, how, how long have you guys been together? We've been together three and a half years. Yep. And uh, you've just had a baby recently. Yes. More more recently. How old's your, what do you got, a boy or a girl? Girl. Her name's Margot and she yeah. just turned one. Great name, Margot. She's one year old. Yeah. Oh, she's going to get into that territory. She, <laughs> cr- she's probably crawling. She's almost walking. Yeah, she's standing but not. Stumbling like me coming home from the pub. Yeah, okay. When she's... She, you know, in a year's time, she'll be causing you a problem. So, you know, I remember <laughs> I had four kids and I remember they, you know, I used to, the very first kid, I was saying, oh, what, I wonder when he's going to crawl, when he's going to, I'm looking forward to him when yeah. he's walking. And then by the third one, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm not looking forward to him by the time they're walking. He's going to be every bloody cupboard in the house. For years, I had latches on all my cupboards. It looked so shit. And, and there was bar, uh, like gates and stairways and like things like that. You know, like uh, eventually. So that's all- what you're passing on about par- your parenting tip is that it ruins the aesthetic of your house? Totally. No, it's more passing. Because, you know, the, the, the gate thing that you used to have at the top of the stairs yeah. would break down, all the little <laughs> screw things that you used to have to screw into the thing. They'd make a, a dent on the side of the, the wood and you have to maybe sand back and repaint it. <laughs> I, I was just so happy once I could get all that shit out of the yeah. job. But it feels like you've really been triggered in this chat. Yeah, I have been very triggered, but but it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, how yeah. how much are you enjoying having Margot as a one-year-old little girl? <sighs> Best thing that can ever happen to anyone, I feel. Um, you know, obviously I'm at the very start of this, this crazy journey, but I think you were probably the same when you get through that first year of your firstborn. It's a bit of a fog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But there's also that sense of achievement. You know, we've, we've kept a human alive for a year and it's yeah. have a drink with the mates and celebrate and bring the family around. And, um, yeah, I've, I'm absolutely loving it. It's challenging with the travel schedule. Um, yeah, I was going to say, how do you manage that? As best we can. You know, work have been very understanding and as flexible as they can be, but the reality of my role is it's flying, it's driving. It's like we spoke about a national show. I've, I can't just be in Sydney every day. So... I try to justify it and I guess be at peace with it by making it work for us when we can. For example, we took Margot on a work trip to Disneyland when she was only six wow. months old. You know, kids fly. She um, won't remember it. Kids fly for free under two. Yeah, she probably won't remember it, but we'll show her the photos and videos. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I'd, I try to look at it from this perspective. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Your average person, average new parent, whether it's the mum or dad that's that's staying at home, often it's the mum staying at home, the dad's working, often that first year, but it changes. Um, say they work 9am to 5pm, a standard hours, they're probably leaving home at 7, 7.30, the commute, they're getting home at 6, 6.30. So they only really see their little one on the weekends and maybe half an hour here and there. The days that I'm in Sydney, I get almost a whole day and then my partner, Beck can go to work. And so I try to look at it like through that lens. Otherwise, it would just be too upsetting. I'm missing so many moments. Well, I, I can tell you now, look, I'm, I never saw my kids because I, I, that my kids grew up in a different era. Yep. But like it was normal for the father 
to work, you know, all day and if you had a second job, I mean, I worked 12, 13 hours a day, every yep. day, six, six days a week. And I, the only time I saw my kids was a sport on Sundays at the rugby league and uh, but I never got to take him anywhere, which I, in hindsight I now regret. Um, you know, I wish I had known better, wish I had known what you know um, and what more modern parents know, this sort mm. of stuff. Um, and then those days you just relied on the, your partner, their mum, to bring them up and to do everything for them. And I don't remember ever changing nappies. Not because <laughs> they wouldn't, I didn't want to do it, but because, you know, they at night they were sleeping and the nappy, by the time they got up, I'd left. Yeah. And by the time I got home, they're back in bed. Yeah. And I'd go and literally go into the, the the cot or the bed and just have a look at them, like the sleep. Right. Um, so I don't really, I mean, I might have probably changed nappies on a Sunday or something like that, but like I don't really remember doing too much of them. So that's stuff sacred. You, you can't go back in time. You yes. can't say, and you might say, I'll oh, we'll get it with the second or third, but it doesn't matter. You missed out on the first. Absolutely. And there's periods that make treasure that stuff. That, that stuff's the most Thank important. You. I, you tend to, what I tend to do now is I try to make it up for them. Um, you know, um, and especially with my grandkids, like uh, yeah. I, I tend to go over the top with my grandkids, <laughs> do things for them that I would never have done for my own kids. And my kids then remind me, hey, Dad, you would never have done that, Brian. What's wrong with you? And uh, that probably is not the right thing to do. So this is a great time to treasure. I yeah. Mean, especially if you've got a busy a busy schedule. I'm super aware of that and um, and it's my number one focus. So obviously we need an income, we need to work. So when I'm away working, justify it by, okay, I'm going to spend as much time as I can. I'm going to be completely present when I get home. You know, when I walk in that door, we're on. I'm not going to relax and chill out on the couch and watch the footy. I'm helping. So to give my partner a break, but also I don't want to miss those. The, the thing that I didn't think about before becoming a dad was, I guess you call them mini milestones. I thought about the big ones like walking for the first time. Yeah, I didn't first think, birthday. Yeah. I didn't think about hearing her laugh for the first time. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about when she learned how to point or when she learned how to clap with a song or now she knows where her tummy is. I didn't think about these and they're almost every week. So, so any minute that I'm home, when I'm not sleeping, I'll be trying my best to get on that carpet with Margot, give Beck a bit of a break. Um, but, but, in a selfish way, to see these moments unfold. I, I absolutely love that part of it. It's funny, you know, it just reminded me of something. I remember when my first son was born and my grandmother, whose Greek was alive, and uh, who could not speak any English. And I remember um, one time we were, I was over at her place in Maroubra and uh, my son was probably, he hadn't been christened. We we're going to get in Chris and we just waited a bit. I don't know why, but he was like maybe three or four months old mm. and he was smiling or he was doing that with his, like a smile. He <laughs> yeah. wasn't grimacing. It was, it was a smile. Yeah. The only grimace was smile, one of the two. They whinge all the smile. <laughs> and my grandmother said, I said to her, look, he's, he's smiling. Look, you know, she said, no, no, he's not smiling. You haven't christened him yet. And I said, what do you mean? She said, that's not a smile. She said, that is him laughing at the devil. You have to go and get christened. <laughs> She said, I'll fix it up. So she went and got a, uh, some whiskey and uh, in a glass and put her finger in the glass and put a drop of whiskey on her, on the tip of her finger yeah. and put it on his tongue. Like a, a, an old Greek tradition thing, you know, like and she said he'll keep it. What it turned out to be, he wasn't smiling because he, he didn't know what he was smiling at. He had a tummy ache oh. and he was just making a, a mouth movement that looked like he was smiling and the whiskey actually somehow – Relaxed them a bit. Really? And took the pain away. And she's, and, and literally, at like three or four minutes after she did this, this uh, smile went away. And she said, That'll drive the, the devil away until you go and get him christened, Mark. And I thought, Shit, I better get him christened. Someone got him christened really quick. It's funny, these old traditions you just reminded me of something. And you're right. They're the little moments before you have a kid you never knew about. Yeah. And they're the little moments that really are the important moments. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't remember his first birthday, but I do remember that. Yeah. And well, it, I, I think like a lot of people, when you become a parent for the first time, I mean, a few things happened for me. Shock. Yes. Yeah, shock. We had a bit of time to prepare, but I think instantly it gave me a new level of appreciation for my parents because yeah. I feel like when, when we're kids, we just, everything's just there, you know, your dinner's just there. Um, you don't know or think, nor should you, you're a kid, but you don't, know that your parents might be going through some challenging financial times or that they've had a really tough day at work and the last thing they want to do is make a big meal for you. You don't know or care about that. So when I became a dad and sort of started to get into that groove, instantly I was like, wow, my parents did all of these things. They had all of these emotions. They had all of these feelings. And I was a little brat. 
I was a spoiled brat. So it made me appreciate them so much more. It made me appreciate my partner so much more seeing her. And I guess a lot of dads would have seen this when mum just clicks into mum mode. It's this magical thing that we would not stand a chance, but the strength that that new mums and Their women. endurance have. abilities oh are crazy. Oh, my goodness. We're it's, so pathetic. Oh, so pathetic. It's it's embarrassing. I, I don't want to use it as an excuse because it might sound like I'm using I'm not. Yeah. I am saying it's the truth. Yeah. We are so Pathetic. Yeah, but you can't use that as a cop-out anymore. No, you can no, say, no. I'm pathetic, so here's a list of 15 things that I'm going to do that's going to improve this week to make your life easier. Yeah. You have to. And, you know, like put it this way, little things that I notice, my partner, Beck, she'll make pasta for Margot for dinner. Great. Fantastic. Makes the pasta, you know, like boils it, whatever. And then she'll get the palms and cheese out and she'll grate the palms and cheese. This is for a baby. Now, the baby wouldn't know any difference if there was palms and cheese on there or not, but she cares. And every day is grand final day for her. So am I, if I'm in that house and when I've been away three nights and I come home, I'm going to grate that cheese because I've got to fit into that groove that I've missed out You're on. You're going to measure up, mate. Absolutely. And she's making me become better and making me push myself to kind of keep up, which is, which is a, a gift for me because that gift then becomes for Margot who's going to have an amazing upbringing. So, yeah, and I think that's a pretty standard thing. Mums just have these gears that we don't know about and you only see them when you're in it, when you're in that day-to-day, when they're up at 2 a.m. and they've got the energy to sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star for the 15th time, you know, but it's like they've sung it for the first time. So you can't help but be caught up and swept up in that this is what it takes to be a great parent. So I need, to match, I need to match that level. You become inspired. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you should say because last weekend – um, my son rings and he said, oh, Dad, can we come around your place and my, bring my grandson, George, and uh, to have a swim? I said, I'm lucky to live near the beach. And I said, yeah, no worries because, you know, there's a parking spot there. And so I thought to myself, I better get George something to eat because, you know, like I'll buy him an ice cream, buy him a bag of chips or get him some peanuts or something. You know, I don't mm. know. He's not peanut allergic to peanuts. <laughs> and um, so I text my son. And uh, he writes back, says, Dad, it's all right. Uh, his wife, Siobhan, has organised, she's made him cookies. Mm. No, actually, Siobhan texted him back and she said, no, I made him cookies. So they come along with the cookies and I thought, well, a new idiot. Like, you know, she's made cookies and he helped her make the cookies. So she, <laughs> like, he was up there, you know, doing the cookie yeah. thing. And then when he got to my place, he produced the cookies. He calls me Pop. He said, Pop, here's some cookies. They're healthy to eat. <laughs> Not like chips. Straight up. So he's teaching he you teach now me about better and diet thought, habits. Fuck. And I thought I felt like inspired now because he's come to stay with me. They're having another baby in uh, oh, great. two weeks. Oh, great. And he's going to come stay with me for a, a few days. Yeah, months. awesome. So I now thought, well, hang on. you got to lift my, got to lift my game now. I'm going to have to get a, a thing for him to stand on in the kitchen. I'm going to have to get him to help me make some dinner. He's going to have to make some cookies. He's going to – and it's got to be healthy. So, like, it's, you know, um, the, the flowers, whole yeah. milk flour, like the whole thing. Absolutely. So uh, th- you're right. There's a lot of inspiration, even at my age, a lot of inspiration to be got from a modern parent, a good modern parent. Mm-hmm. And it's not just how you enjoy the kids being a parent for, for the first time or being a grandparent for the first time for that matter. It's about what I, I'm always looking for inspiration. And to some extent, what you do in your job is inspiration for wherever you go. I mean, you, part of your, your interaction is inspiring people maybe to get up and you might go to a, a convalescent home, get a, get up and do some exercise yeah. or bring a, a, a companion dog in yeah. for people to be inspired to touch touch the dog, pat him or her, and uh, to feel for them to feel better. Go to a kid's thing, a little kids in a country town who have never seen Sam Mack, mm. who only seen him on television, and they want to see Sam Mack being funny, mm. clowning around, yeah. you know, maybe wearing an outfit or something yeah. like that. And, and these, are, these are inspirational moments. I hope you so. You must have, like, I mean, I don't know if you keep a log of these things, but you must have thousands and thousands of inspirational moments where you just try to commit, try and commit some, store some of them in your own memory. Well, I wrote a book during COVID. Thanks for reading it as part of your research for today, Mark. No problem. Um, That's why I raised it. I did it subtly yeah. as possible. Could you tell me your top 25 moments from the book? <laughs> the first 25 pages. Yeah, we'll, we'll get I, to that at the end I when you review could, the book I, for I, me. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> Accidental Weatherman. You couldn't pick it up either. That was the problem. <laughs> um, Accidental Weatherman was the name of the book because I kind of stumbled into the job and never set out to be a weatherman, never really had a particular interest in the weather, but I, you know, became the weatherman. Um, but really the book is about people and exactly what you're saying, the people that I've met, the places that I've been, um, that 
you take a little something from everywhere. It's not always a great thing, but you take a little something from everywhere. And you mean you benefit for yourself, you mean, or well, you have in, in terms of memory? You learn something, you have a great memory, a great interaction, you meet someone who you want to keep in contact with because you see something in someone. Um, you become a bit of a mini expert on everything. You can talk about, you know, you, you name like, uh, motor neuron disease. I've met multiple people with it. I've met their families. I've spoken about it. So you get these little snapshots of people's lives. And, and often my challenge is how do I tell their life story in two minutes, which is really tough, but a, an exciting challenge to kind of get to the, get to the, the key points as quick as you can, and, but also leave them some room to shine. I, I love that part of the job. And it's sometimes challenging when you've got someone in your ear saying, you know, wrap it up. The prime minister's about to be on. We got to go. We got to go. That happens. But um, yeah, I do. I, I take those little little nuggets from different places around the country and beyond. Yeah, so you have met a lot of people and you, there are some causes that you, you do prosecute like, pretty uh, rigidly, you know, with a lot of energy. What are some of the things you're now what, – well, and, and what, what are some of the things you're now you're looking at and doing? And do you have a memory of who it was or where it was that inspired you to – to do that particular thing in terms of cause? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been a, an ambassador, a SAM ambassador for um, Sydney Dogs and Cats Home for a number of years that basically rescue animals. So I've had a couple of rescue cats of my own. I love dogs as well, but just my travel and the houses that I was living at the time, it was cats. Um, sadly lost Coco, who I was, a, you know, my cat for 13 years, rescue cat last year, which really was upsetting, you know, on, on so many levels. Anyone who's lost a pet knows that feeling. Is it, that the cat you took to the Logies? Yeah. That's the cat. I took to, yeah. It's a cat that I've got tattooed on my hip. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, she was a cat that she had like a resting bitch face. So it was kind of funny on social media. People like grumpy cat, I guess people enjoyed that and people followed her stories and journey, but, but through it all, we were raising awareness and raising money. And, and when she passed, I said, look, if, if you ever laughed at, you know, one of the Coco photos, or if you enjoyed some of our little adventures, could you please give 20 bucks, you know, to, to animal rescue? Cause this is in her honor. And we raised $25,000 overnight, Wow, which was really nice for me to kind of have that. It wasn't all in my mind. People were really invested and connected to her and, and to me, and they could tell that it was genuine. And I wanted to do anything to help this animal rescue place. And, and I love that people were on board with that. So that's definitely one of them. Do you remember the moment where you were inspired to actually support a rescue shelter for animals? Yeah, I remember. Um, was it a segment? Being, no, it was just at a park and a, and a guy there had a rescue dog. And I think like a lot of people, this is a while ago now, for some reason I just thought rescue is something wrong with them. I just had this perception of, oh, they've got behavioural issues or that was just how I viewed it. This is 10, 15 years ago. And then, yeah, then through doing segments, I kind of met, wow, there's all these amazing cats, amazing dogs. And like, oh, what an awesome thing to share this. You don't go and have to pay a breeder. You don't have to do it like that. Go to the pet shop at Bondi. You don't need to do that. You can actually, these, these guys really need a home and they're so excited to come home with you. So that's a big animal lover. So that was definitely one. I wear that, um, for are you okay day? I've been an ambassador for are you okay day for over 10 years now. Um, I lost a friend to his mental health battles, um, in 2008. And I think this was, that was pre, are you okay? That was probably, as you would know, around 2008, mental health conversations were nowhere near as prevalent as they are now, particularly amongst men. So that was a shock to the system and that I was doing radio at the time. And I remember it took me about a year or so before I was comfortable to speak about it publicly. And I remember speaking about it on radio and it was one of the toughest things I've ever done because it was- Speaking about the loss or speaking yeah, about- speaking about him, health. speaking about who Richard, his name is Richard Marsland, um, speaking about Richard, uh, speaking about who he was, what he stood for, what he may have been going through, speaking about how it affected me, but, but also his family, his friends, that- community and then sort of leading into speaking about mental health more generally and things that I'd picked up in that, I guess, year of learning. So that's something that's very personal, very raw. And I think sadly, a lot of people have a connection to it these days. Um, so anything that I can do, and, and I'm again, very proud of, again, I've had people come up to me and say, you encourage me to, to chat to a friend about it, or you encourage me to, to reach out to a counselor. And like, that's, I take real value in that and I can use my social media platform for that. I can use Sunrise. Sunrise have been great with supporting me on that. So yeah, mental health is, is a really big one for me. 
as we know, after COVID, it's it's more important than ever. And, and I feel that things are improving. I, I really feel that men are more open and, and more, you're not going to get mocked as much as say 10 years ago for saying, look, I'm going through a really tough time or, or breaking down and crying. It's okay. There's, it's funny, we, we never actually, I don't know if, I don't know if we actually got mocked, but we felt as though we're going to get mocked. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on it, your friendship it, group. It felt like it was, you were offering weakness yeah. to whoever your group was when in fact, in hindsight, if anyone had ever said it to me, um, you know, that they weren't feeling great and there was something wrong, I would not have thought of that as weakness. I would have just thought, well, well shit, what can I do to help? Yes. Um, but, it, you know, there, there would have been a sense of, particularly when I was growing up, there was a sense of, uh, uh, you know, there's a weakness in this. That's uh, right. You know, like you're, 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 you're offering up your vulnerability. I think Are You, Are you Okay Day is just a wonderful, It's for a start, it's a great, Acronym R U O K. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just fantastic. That's, but it it gives people an, an opportunity or permission a to ask it, but b to say they're not. That's right. And and uh, we you just know, need permission. Yes. And it's there's some people who will say, oh, it's only one day of the year. It should be every day. It is every day. But that one day is the annual reminder to keep it top of mind. Now, I wear that because it reminds me every day. It's a nice little visual cue, but I remember anyway, it's so ingrained in me now, but it reminds me to be alert to people's mental health around me, whether it's a workmate, whether it's my partner, whether it's my family, friends, random person that I meet at a sunrise weather segment. It, it reminds me to be in tune with people's mental health, but but also myself. It reminds me to, to keep a check in on myself and, oh yeah, how am I going? Or have I got too much on my plate at the moment? Do I need to rejig things? Um, I was going to ask you yeah. about that. You've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> I mean, you do a lot. Mm. I mean, you've got all these various um, foundations you try to look after, you help out, you've got your mad mad life in terms of work. You know, it's mad in terms of, the, you know, just the rhythm of it. Um, I, I think your brain is going at a 1,000 miles an hour anyway in whatever whatever you're doing. But there's, as you just said, if you're home, you're on the floor with Margot, um, then there, of course, is your partner, her mother, who you got to spend time with, not got to spend time, want to spend time with yeah. too. It's necessary. Um, then there's your parents who are sort of sitting there wondering why you didn't visit them when you went to Adelaide. <laughs> and there's, uh, there's your sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's probably others, a lot of a broader circle of friends. You got to have friends. Yeah. You got to have a couple of mates. Absolutely. You got to have someone to have a beer with. It's probably the, do you f- follow a footy club? Adelaide Crows. No, um, I mean I mean soccer and um, Manchester United and or Adelaide United. United. Right. Yeah. So you got to watch the games. Yeah. Um. You, you, and you got to do your research. Um. You know, you <laughs> find out what's going on. You got to know what's going on. Yeah. So that's a fairly busy life. Do you ever sort of check in every now and then and sort of say, "Hey, let's just pull up here for a minute, Sam. Let's think about it. Like, let's say no to something." Yeah. I. That's that's an area that I have to improve in. I feel like I'm getting better at it. I feel like fatherhood has helped me get stronger with that. Are you talking about prioritization? Yeah, just it's I don't know if it was the same for you, but it's it's amazing how fast you can answer a question or a prospect when you've just become a new parent. Because if someone says, Oh, can you come to Canberra and host this event on Saturday, the blah blah blah, I already know the answer is no. Because that Saturday is the day that I want to spend the full day and put Margot to sleep and have that time at home. Of course there's there's exceptions. You need to do some extracurricular bits and pieces, but it's amazing how quick I know now whether it's a yes or a no. How, how did you work that out? Because I mean, I still struggle with it. So, you know, I got called pretty late last night. Could I do a segment on Channel 9 at 10 past 7? You know, I thought, oh, you know, do I? Feel like doing it. Well, you were saying you prefer doing Channel Seven as well. <laughs> Channel Eyes listening. Uh, <laughs> no, I, like, I actually like both stations. I mean, and, and they're, they're both great crews. What yeah. have you got against Channel Ten? Uh, well, they never asked me to do anything. Um, <laughs> Studio Ten, come on. <laughs> I don't even Mr. know where Bruce. it is. I, I actually do know where it is. But I, but like, uh, I, I thought about. It. I do. I really feel like doing it, and I, I said yes. And I mean, I had to get up at six o'clock. Couldn't go. To the, I mean, I had to leave home at six o'clock. Couldn't yeah. go. To the gym had to be there at you know quarter seven because they'd like to put makeup on me. Although this morning I, I didn't get any makeup because I was I got there late because there was traffic. Is that why there's dim lighting today? It's totally. There's always don't worry. There's always dim lighting in here. Don't worry. There's always. Um, the only person ever asked makeup in here was Rabs. Ray, <laughs> Ray Warren. Rabs asked for makeup, but like no, but I, I have I still struggle with saying no. I, I feel mm-hmm. an obligation if if it's to talk about interest rates, 
I feel as though there's an audience out there who just don't know and they're anxious. And uh, I must say on that, I feel that I want to say thank you because I'm probably one of those people. And I, as soon as there's an, an interest rate announcement, your Instagram is the first place that I'll look. Oh, thank so, you. So no, genuine, genuine thank you for that. Well, but I, and I, by the way, I might not get it right, but but at least I think people just want an opinion, like from someone who's been around a long time, which uh, one thing I, I can say, I've been around a long time and I've been through all the ups and downs. And so I felt as though I, I, I feel an obligation. And again, it goes back to sort of my, my upbringing, um, there's an expectation mark that um, you need to turn up, and uh, that prioritization process um, probably hasn't quite worked for me just yet. Even now, I'm, I'm still trying to work it through. Um, but it's interesting for a person of your age, a young person, relatively speaking to me, um, has already worked it out. It's more, I think, it's more um, more your your cohort of people, your age group, that is, in terms of cohort. Are much more aware of prioritizing your lives. And what's what's the important? And what are the top five things I can do? Yeah, I mean, becoming a dad helped crystallize that for me, because. But it didn't for me. Yeah, interesting. I guess Lee, you were saying it was a different era then, when it was yeah. kind of common that mum would look after you, would continue to work, and that's just the way things were back then. These days, it's not. I mean, sometimes it's like that for some couples. And again, it's no judgment, whatever works for your family, whatever happens under your roof. And that's, that's fair enough. But for us, I don't, I don't want my partner to have to bear the brunt of all the nappy changes. And I don't want that. Like, even if it was an option for me, I wouldn't take that. If I could take it back, I would. Honestly, I would. If I could be you, that's me 30 odd years Mm -hmm. ago, I would definitely be different. Yeah. I would happily lay there and get pissed on by my sons <laughs> uh, when you take the nappy off. <laughs> That's the bit they're going to use in the promo yeah, for this episode. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> or those, those horrible nappies sometimes that happens. Oh, well, I think uh, they're called uh, punamis. They're terrible. <laughs> they're like, I mean, it is like a tsunami. It's just a shocker. Um, and I, you know, I used to think to myself, well, I'm glad. I, I uh, my my their mum used to tell me about these terrible events, and I was thinking, thank God I don't have to do that. And uh, but I, I probably would happily do it today. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel that it was a quick education for me, and I feel that um, in that first six months, as any new parent will know, it is a bit of a blur. I feel like this is the timeline for me: the first couple of months, adrenaline, you're just so over the moon, ecstatic on cloud nine because you've got a happy, healthy baby. Yeah. So nothing else matters. Yeah. You forget everything else. It's just like you're in the bubble, right? Then at around the three, four months mark, it starts to kick in. It gets a bit hard. You've had that few months of not much sleep. It's, sleep deprivation. Yeah. Reality kicks in and you're like, oh yeah, this is forever. <laughs> right? And But from a dad's perspective, I found it really challenging to connect with Margot because she's, you know, literally joined at the boob to mum a lot of the time. And mum doesn't really have much time for dad all of a sudden because it's just focused rightfully so on baby. But then I had this thing that happened to me at around four months where I realized I just needed to view it through a different lens. And that is every single thing that Beck is doing for Margot that, you know, organizing that food for her, going to buy her clothes, all of these things, cleaning up after this, planning that, getting this organized for tomorrow, the washing, all of these things that she's showing that love to Margot is actually by default and in turn showing love to me because this is our daughter. And I'll be able to pick up the load and I'll be able to show this in different ways. At the moment, it's through work and it's through, you know, financially us being able to afford our home. But as time goes on, I'll take some of those roles to free her up to do bits and pieces away from that. And again, going to the timeline thing, once we got her sleeping correctly and sleeping well through the night at around the seven or eight month mark, and this could change tomorrow, but at the moment it's in a good sleep pattern, we suddenly had time to sit down together and have a glass of wine at 6.30, to have dinner together, to, to have a chat. And it just was a monumental change. So I think a lot of dads will relate to this. That first six months, you the best you can hope for is being best supporting actress, right? You're not, you're not the main event. You're a sous chef. You're like, you're trying to help wherever you can, but you are not the main event. And it's not about you. It's about mum and bub bonding and, you know, getting through that, that tough time. But then also the personality starts to emerge from the baby in my experience around the sort of seven month, eight month where she starts laughing, she starts pointing, she starts making sounds, almost saying words, saying dad, dad was her first word, you know, which is a cruel injustice that I'm sure a lot of mums have experienced. It's easier to say than mum. Oh, maybe. Well, it's because I read about it's because 
they hear it the most because mum's always saying, dad's going to be home soon. Dad's going to do this. Where's dad? Oh, dad should have done this. Dad's an idiot. You know, they hear <laughs> dad all the time, right? So, which I love. So now Beck's trying to get her to say mum still hasn't said it. One day she'll say it, maybe by her 21st. I but- see another book coming, Weatherman <laughs> Dad. Yeah. Well, better than accidental dad. Yeah, uh- <laughs> Weatherman Dad. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's how I look at it in our first year. So you, I'll I, I just move off the, just quickly move away from um, you know, uh, Sam the dad, Sam the weather presenter. Um, Sam, the, I just want to talk about just one example when you've d- done some crazy stuff. Um, you've bungee jumped. You bungee jumped, which is something I've never done. I, I, I just won't trust the, the rope or whatever hell it is. You've swum with sharks. Yeah. Um, you got your cat on the cover of Puss Week magazine. <laughs> I just made up. I don't know. Strip naked for the real mo- for Monty. Yeah. Um, recorded a song with the Wiggles. Yep. That's that's one for the uh, that's fun for the ages. Absolutely. Um, all of these things are about how Sam connects with people. The things you're prepared to do, I should say, to build a common denominator between you and the people that you're trying to connect with at the time. Is there anything you wouldn't do? I mean, is and do you actually do think about doing these things or decide or agree to do these things without a thought? In other words, stuff it. I will bungee jump because I this that's my deal. That's how I got to perform. That's how I got to connect. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. <laughs> or were you terrified? Um, I absolutely hated it, and that was on my first day of the job. No. Yeah. So the producer called me the week before and said, "Is there anything you won't do?" And I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about this. They said, I'll call you back in an hour, have a think about it. So I'm Googling most extreme <laughs> activities you can do, blah, blah, blah. And I foolishly called him back and said, yep, there's only one that comes to mind. I'm, I, I won't skydive. So, he, so in his mind, he's like, great, bungee jump. Well, yeah, well that's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is different. Still, I think, almost as traumatic. So, yeah, that was a horrible experience. I would not recommend it. I had the exact same thoughts as you. What if it snaps and... Thankfully, it didn't, but um, it made good TV because people like seeing people in fear. You oh, know, totally. It's I mean, engaging. Were you fearful? Though, yeah, you absolutely, and I, I didn't hide it. I was squealing like a, like a child. I hated it, but, you know, getting naked on stage for the real full Monty, that was a different level of trauma. Similar. Do you actually have something to cover you up? I mean, you, did you put your hand in front of you? We agreed. The group of us agreed three seconds of nudity before we put the hands in. On TV? Well, they didn't show that. They showed from the behind angle. Okay. Luckily, I've got a great butt. Um, <laughs> By your own admission, yeah. <laughs> but it was that was equally scary. I mean, you know, like they took people's phones off them before they went in. It was the Enmore Theatre in front of a thousand people. Then, obviously, going to a national TV audience. And I was like, well, what if someone snuck their phone in? Like they're, they're going to see it all and there's firecrackers going off and there's crazy lighting and and we did it and we had like, you know, it's uh, spray tans and red diamante encrusted G-strings. Uh, it was like I feel gross about it. It's, it's traumatic thinking about it. But it's another life experience and it made people happy. And the, I like to think whenever I do these types of things, there's some sort of layer or level behind it. So whether it's getting a cat, cat tattoo to, or taking Coco to the Logies, like that's animal rescue to me. That one was to encourage men to um, get checked for prostate cancer. And that was a really nicely threaded that's theme important one. throughout the episode. So it's like, if we can take our gear off in front of the nation, you can take your gear off in front of the doctor behind closed doors. And it was, I thought that was a really clever way of doing it. And Again, after I had a lot of amazing pieces of feedback from people saying, we watch with my dad. He hasn't been to the doctor for four years, but after watching that, we had a good laugh and he's agreed to book in. He's going to the doctor in two weeks. Like, great. That's a win. So I like to think that, yes, I'll play the fool. Yes, I'll get the gear off. I'll bungee jump, whatever. But most of the time, there's some sort of reason or purpose to it. And sometimes it's just the purpose is to make people laugh or smile or roll their eyes. I'll take an eye roll any day. I was going to say, that's a good purpose, though. I think so. A, a, a quick laugh or a quick smile or a roll of the eyes, whatever the case may be, or something to talk about later in the day or just have a giggle at with whoever you're watching it with. Escapism. That is so important today. I think it's more important today, post-COVID in particular, than of any, to- of any time in the 68 years I've been living on this planet. <laughs> it has become critical because everything's so serious. We take ourselves so seriously. And I, I just I rue the day that if we ever lose – um, the sort of segments that you and others um, put on television and or radio, um, I rue the day that those things disappear, those segments disappear. 
And we, we're still seeing radio. Obviously, numbers are dropping in all those categories because it's being diluted by all the things you've got to compete with. Yep. Um, and by just naturally, mathematically, you're going to lose your numbers. But people still need to have that, Sam. And uh, that is a really big deal for me in what we need as a as a society, it's too easy to get caught up in tech and change and being on top of the, the news as is, you know, as is burning and, you know, making decisions about how I can take advantage of this or take advantage of that or criticize this person because there's something I want to get an advantage out of. What you do is critical to us. So, Sam Mack, thanks very much. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. I love the podcast, mate. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.